So, Father, we pray right now that you would speak to us through your words. As we think to the reality of everything that's going on in the scriptures right now, God, these are not mere characters in a book that somebody made up. But these are events and things that took place in history. There's real emotion. There's real feeling. There's real to everything. And so, God, as we wrestle with the realness of what you want to teach us right now, we pray that you would give us ears to hear through the words of the Magi this morning and through their encounter with the King, with the Savior. So, God, we love you and we thank you, and we anticipate what you're going to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good to be worshiping with you this morning, church. I'm Pastor Jamie, and as you well know, we're in uh, the, the, the beginning, the second week of our series called Anticipation, and we're talking about what are we as a church anticipating for this holiday season. And so I want to encourage you, as we dive into the scriptures, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, um, or you can grab your service sheets, and in there we have the scripture, and also we have a Christ Church app that if you want to grab and, and, and open that app, you can follow along on your iPhones or whatever else you have. Um, But it is important for us to be looking in the scriptures together. Because what the word of God has to say to us is so much more important than anything a man has to say to us. And so the word is good. And it has a story to tell us this morning. Last week we heard about Joseph. We heard about him as a father. And we heard about the reality of everything that he had to go through. And I want to kind of take us back for a moment to really think about this. That these are not just made up stories. Men, what would it have been like for you if your fiancé, whom you know you haven't had union with, comes to you and says, I'm pregnant? Think about the emotions. Think about the heartbreaking uh, just moment that must have been for Joseph. And then for her to have the nerve to make the statement that, oh, don't worry, it's the Son of God. Not buying it. But then because of a beautiful divine revelation that God gave to Joseph, he was kind of let in on the plan. And a lot of times during Christmas, we have this image of Christmas as being this white, cotton, neat and tidy, fluffy, bunny little thing. But it's really kind of a tragic, scandalous story, isn't it? Because while Mary and Joseph knew what was going on, they had encounters with God, they had encounters with angels, and there's a handful of other people maybe who know what's really going on to the neighborhood and to the town. They're that scandalous couple that's blaming it on God. Think about that. And then what happens is is there's the census and they have to go back to Bethlehem and, and, and relive all of it over again. And so this beautiful moment in history is marked with rumors, heartache, an emotional roller coaster that we can't even begin to imagine. Now it's important to remember that the book of Matthew is the gospel that is written to the Jews. Did you know that? That it is written uh, to the Jewish people. It's got a little bit of a Jewish bent to it. So the things that are said in here are really preached to a people who have an understanding of Jewish culture, unlike you or I, unless you're Jewish in here. <laughs> then you may have an understanding. But we don't understand that. And in our scripture today, we see something absolutely amazing that if you're not paying attention, you could very easily miss it. Because I know for a lot of us, one of the big questions we have this morning is, how many wise men were there actually? Well, I hate to break it to you, there weren't three. 
Nowhere in Scripture does it ever say there was three wise men. It says there was three what? Gifts. And sometimes we read into these things or we just kind of accept what TV tells us. But when you get into the real story, it's much better than we could ever imagine. The baby's been born. The Savior of man is in the form of a child. We know for a fact that this visit that's about to happen from these magi, these, these, these Persians, we know that this happens within the first two years of Christ's life. And so here they show up at the home of Mary and Joseph. And when they knock on the door and the door is opened, something happens that, that I don't think any of us could understand because there's Mary and Joseph, there's the baby. And then there's these, these magi, these men from the West who have come and, and, and they're saying, we're here to see the King. We've seen His star and we've come to worship Him. In this moment, it's a beautiful thing because Mary and Joseph know that what God told them is true, that, that this isn't just a secret, that God is going to do something amazing through this child. And now men, foreign men, non-Jews, have come to worship the King. And they've brought gifts. We learned four things pretty interesting in the story of the Magi. The first set of things that we learn is we learn about the three gifts that they brought, and we're going to jump into that. But the fourth thing that we learn from the story of the Magi is this. We, as Gentiles, were always a part of the Christmas story. That we, as non-Jewish followers of Jesus, have always been a part of God's plan. Let's look at what His Word has to say to us this morning. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Starts us off with King Herod. Let me give you a little background on Herod. Herod at this time is beginning to kind of, to kind of wane. He's getting lazy. He's getting tired. He's on the, near the end of his reign. And, and so he's got children. He's probably looking forward to passing the throne on to his kid. He's, he must have stopped taking his crazy pills because as history tells us, Herod's kind of relaxed in this moment up to uh, this point in history. All of a sudden, word starts coming around from town that there's these, these Arab men, these Persians have come into town and they're looking for the new king of the Jews. So Herod becomes angry, he becomes irate, and he calls for a meeting with these wise men. You and I know how the story goes. Herod would become so enraged over the fact that there's a, a new king of the Jews that he would pass a law later that would eliminate every child in Bethlehem two years and younger. It's hard to think of the first Christmas having that kind of tone to it, isn't it? Think about that if you're a mother in that time. It was a crazy time. So here you have the Son of Man laying in a little manger bed as we see it all the time on cards. And men have come from the east and we're going to pick it up at uh, verse 3. When, uh, when King Herod had heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the apostle chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. 
But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Herod then called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make careful search for the child, and as soon as you find out where he is, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. And I think this is where we call them the wise men because they weren't stupid. They knew what Herod was trying to do. He was searching for this Christ child, this king, so that he could eliminate him. But the story doesn't stop there because the wise men caught on to what he was doing. It says this in chapter, or verse 9, After they had heard the king, they went on their way and, they, uh, with, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. I had a professor in school by the name of Kenneth Bailey who tells this amazing story how in 1920, there was a group of British scholars meeting with several different Bedouin tribes. And one of the tribes had the name Al-Kawakabaini. I'm not going to say it again. (laughs) And what this name means is those who study the stars or those who study the planets. And to put it in a different term, it's also said to be the planet chasers. And upon asking this Bedouin tribe, why do you bear this name over your people? They said, because our ancestors are the one who followed the stars to find Jesus. And so what's amazing to me is that today, there's a group of Bedouin nomads wandering around who bear that name because they claim to be the Arab men and people that pursued Christ. This happened. They found the king. And what it says when they found him is that they worshipped him as their king. These Gentiles, these non-Jews came and they worshipped the king. It says this in verse 11, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. Now another way that we claim to know that these magi, these wise men, were were from the Persian area is because all three of these things, gold specifically, gold was mined in Persia. And what gold was representative of is, see, gold was a precious metal, a very precious metal, in fact, that was, it was only given and it was saved for either deity or rulers. And when an image was made, as we can think back to the Old Testament, they would take gold and they would make these images of God or they would make images of their king. And so gold was a representative gift of deity, of rulership. And so for us today, as we look at the gifts of these wise men, of these magi, we see gold as a representation of the earthly reign of Jesus Christ. The second gift that they gave was incense or frankincense. Now what's interesting about frankincense is it's taken from a tree that again is found only in Persia. And what it is is the tree is basically milked for its sap 
And this frankincense is then kind of hardened into a resin, and it's burned. And it was oftentimes used as incense for the Lord. It was a a pleasing aroma. And so the frankincense that is given to the Christ child has a very significant spiritual meaning. One of those meanings is this, that Christ will be a burnt offering for the sins of men. And that the fragrance of his sacrifice will be beautiful to God. That because of his sacrifice, you and I will be able to live with Christ forever. The third gift that he received from these magi was something called myrrh. Myrrh, just like frankincense, was a, was a, was a resin, was a, was a sap that came from a tree. And how this stuff was utilized, it was utilized in everyday life. In fact, myrrh was said to be this spirit gum stuff that made life easier. It made life better. When they made furniture back then, they would take this myrrh and they would stick the myrrh in the furniture because it would make it smell better. Imagine if you're a cat person or a dog person, you go, ooh, my couch stinks. Imagine if you had goats and chickens living in your house. Furniture's going to get a little rank. So they would take this myrrh and they would put it on everything, including when they made their beds. They would put myrrh in their beds and it would make it more easy to sleep at night for the aromas of the agricultural society would quickly go away thanks to myrrh. The other thing that it was used for was it was oftentimes mixed with wine and it was called a substance, it was made into a substance called gall, which was oftentimes used in the uh, medicinal purposes of crucifying people, as if you remember, when Jesus was crucified, they offered him gall, which consisted of what? Myrrh. But the thing that myrrh was used for more than anything else was it was used for the embalming of the dead. It was used in a purifying ritual that, that, that took away the odors, it took away the smells. So when we look at the gift of myrrh, we see a gift that represents something very beautifully awful because it represents bitterness. It represents suffering. It represents affliction. And it represents the ease of life. Think about it. Because of what Christ did for you and what Christ did for me, he makes life bearable, doesn't he? But it was because he went unto his death that we can bear anything. The last thing that we learn, and I've already told you what it is, is that when these magi, these Persians, these men from afar came into town, they worshipped their king. They were not Christian. They were, or excuse me, they were not Jews. They were pagans. They were, they were Gentiles, excuse me, not pagans. They were Gentiles. And so as Gentiles, they were invited to the throne of the new king. And what they did was they brought the best of what they had to offer. They brought a earthly gift in gold. They brought a spiritual gift in the incense or the frankincense. And they brought a gift of suffering and a gift of convenience and myrrh. And they laid it at the feet of the king. And what it tells us they did next in the scripture is they worshipped him. They were joyous. And they were excited because Christ had come. Church, you have a king. 
And he has blessed each and every one of us. And this Christmas season, we should be excited and and anticipating the adventure that we're going to have as we bring our gifts to him. As we lay down our crowns at his feet. And we say, God, we are not Jews. We are Gentiles. But you have always included us in this story. And we give you ourselves as a gift. We have a reason to celebrate this Christmas. We have a reason to be excited because we have always been a part of the plan. Amen? Father, we love you and we thank you. And just as in the Garden of Gethsemane, when you prayed for three things, you prayed for yourself, you prayed for your disciples, and you prayed for those who will come to know you through them. Not the Jews, but the Gentiles. And in one of your final conversations with your Father here on earth, again, you thought of us. And further pointed to the fact that we are a part of your story as your Gentile children. So we thank you for the example of the wise men, from these men from afar that came and bowed and worshipped you. And so God, here we are. We come from afar. Each one of us comes from a different place, Lord. But that's not significant, because what is significant is we bring you ourselves as a gift and we lay it at your feet. Accept our worship now, God, for we are so excited you are here.